welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz. Yes. I'm going to start off Happy Hour with a fight. Okay. One of our biggest um, disputes when it comes to oh, 80s no. music. <laughs> okay. Guess the band. Who do we argue about probably the most? Van Halen. Van Halen. God, so good. Look at us. Smart. Simpatico. True. 40 years ago, 1984, this week, the number one hit song on the Billboard charts was Jump by yeah. Van Halen. By, of course, the album. Also. 1984. 1984. That's such a good album. Do you like that album? I know you don't like David Lee Roth, but, like, don't you no, like that I- album? He's fine. And yes, oh my God, you know, I wore that cassette out. Jump also yeah. happened to be, for you Chicago Cubs fans out there, you will recall the magical 1984 season when Ryan Sandberg won the MVP National League. He did not apparently know we were supposed to get married. That never materialized. Would have been weird because I was in high school. But I was madly in love with him. Didn't miss one Cubs game. That was their um, kind of theme song. For that year. That, um, that's a great song. But that whole album, that whole album is really good. It's one of those albums you can just listen to. It's almost like one song, the whole album. You just listen to the whole thing. And that's a big deal because back in the 80s, we couldn't buy a song. You, If there was one good song, you had like eight other crappy songs. So you would have to like keep rewinding to hear the song you wanted mm-hmm. or if you had a record, you know, you'd get up and like move the the needle to back to the song you wanted, but you didn't really have the luxury of just putting together a list of, you know, a playlist. There was no playlist. There was a mixtape, but that was a different yes. animal. Mixed One day we could talk. That was big. That was big. Right. Mixtapes were big, but that's a different animal. So, um, yes, that whole album is, is really good. I like Panama. I'll wait. Just really hot. Hot for teacher, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So, all right. That's a good one, Julie. Good, good uh, 80s. You got another one? Got another thing? So <clears throat> our dispute, and our listeners know this, is that I prefer Sammy Hagar version of Van Halen. And the follow-up to 1984, which I do agree, really good album. But in my opinion, I like Sammy Hagar version better. Here's my dogs. Knew that was going to happen. Uh, and the follow-up album, which was 5150. Also good. Also good. All right. Well done. Um, so our other uh, real quick 80s is back in the day two John Hughes movies debuted, or they were at the top of the top of the movie charts. One we talk about often, Pretty in Pink, awesome soundtrack. Love it. And then the other one was some kind of wonderful 19. 19- I love that movie. That's such a good one. That's a great movie. Very underrated. Like when people think of John Hughes movies, they think of, you know, obviously pretty in pink. They, but I think some kind of wonderful is just as good as pretty in pink. And it has a phenomenal soundtrack. It really does. And just a great cast and like just the whole, yep. whole storyline. So good. <clears throat> so, so if, if you, you haven't, haven't watched that movie, Yes. Go watch it. And if you haven't watched it in a long time, go rewatch it to remind you how great things used to be and how trashy they are now. <laughs> <laughs> and how low everything is now. It's terrible. It's all awful. So we'll get right to the news because, um, wow, uh, just so much news. 
another another news cycle that doesn't stop. As I was telling Liz before we started recording, we're recording now Thursday morning, I was working on a big piece about the hearing in Florida tomorrow. I'll be attending a court hearing. Judge Aileen Cannon, who's overseeing the classified documents case, so much happening there. So I was knee deep in all these court filings. Then the big news broke that the Supreme Court agreed to grant cert, which means they will take up the case, um, of the lower court ruling in Washington, the district court and appellate court, rejecting Donald Trump's claims of presidential immunity from criminal prosecution in the January 6th case. So we could talk a little bit about what happened there. Um, Just for background, and I have a piece up, I published last night at like 11 o'clock on my Substack Declassified with Julie Kelly that sets out the timeline. And Liz, you can already see, I mean, the Andrew Weissmans, Rachel Maddows of the world, they are completely besides themselves that the Supreme Court has taken this up. Oh, CNN. I was, I was um, watching CNN when this happened, like, or not even when, like after long enough that they should have moved on to a different story. And I was watching CNN and they, they looked like their mother had been shot. Like they just were not happy. Well, I think Very they would have. I think they would have preferred if their mothers were shot. Yeah. The Supreme Court <laughs> to take this up. No, that's totally true. They were not, they were not happy because, you know, this is going to, as you know, and you write about, this is going to be, this could be very bad for this, uh, you know, offensive against Trump to try and remove him from being a candidate in 2024. So go ahead, Julie. So we just want to roughly just quickly go through the timeline here. Because what you're seeing the most is that this is Donald Trump's way of dragging out the January 6th case, that this is the Supreme Court helping Donald Trump, which is hilarious because, of course, no one in MAGA world thinks the Supreme Court does anything to help Donald Trump. This is the same Supreme Court that refused, rejected to consider, refused to consider any of the 2020 election lawsuits that were filed at the court. So the idea that they're acting as but John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh are suddenly tools of Donald Trump. It is preposterous. But here's the quick timeline. And you also see a little backlash now, Liz, against Merrick Garland and Jack Smith for waiting until August 1st of 2023 to bring the January 6th case, the indictment down. So Jack Smith announces on August 1st, a D.C. grand jury has indicted, indicted Donald Trump on four counts. That starts the whole process. They go to Judge Chutkin. They ask for an expedited trial schedule of six months, which is unheard of in Washington in January six cases overall. Usually, Liz, it's anywhere between 14, 18, 24 months before the most complex cases finally get to trial. They ask for six months between indictment and trial. She gave them seven months, setting a March 4th trial date. And this timeline is important so people understand that it already has been fast-tracked, that the Supreme Court itself is fast-tracking it. She sets a March 4th trial date. Um, Donald Trump, in October of 2023, his lawyers filed several motions to dismiss the case, including one on presidential immunity, that never before has a former president been indicted on criminal charges, that this is a novel case, unprecedented, And the presidents naturally have 
immunity from criminal prosecution and the way to resolve criminal acts in office is impeachment Impeachment. and conviction. Of course, Donald Trump was impeached for January 6th and efforts to overturn the election, but he was not convicted by the Senate. This is what his defense lawyers have argued. That motion was filed in October of 2023. Tanya Chutkin waits until December 1st of 2023 to hand down her history-making order. Chutkin, an Obama appointee, one of the toughest judges on January 6th defendants, she has made open comments about Donald Trump and his culpability for the events of January 6th in her courtroom. December 1 decides on her own, no, a president is not shielded from criminal prosecution for his acts in office. This then triggers the appellate process automatically. Now, these are due process rights of any defendant, Liz. This is not unique to Donald Trump. So Donald Trump, of course, files an appeal at the D.C. Circuit, which is the appellate court. Pending that, he asked for a stay, a hold on the proceedings, because things were already happening as they were preparing for this March 4th trial. Special counsel Jack Smith realizes the clock is running out on him. He takes what he called uh, and made an extraordinary request. These are Jack Smith's words, asking the Supreme Court to take up the case, leapfrog over the appellate court and take up the question of presidential immunity before the appellate court can. He's the one who says, and this is important for people to know, So you can argue this with your favorite CNN viewer relative, Liz, that um, the Supreme Court ultimately will have to resolve this question. So he's the one who filed this emergency, you know, have the Supreme Court do it, skip over the appellate court. Supreme Court comes back and says, no, but we are going to ask the appellate court to expedite it, which they did. In less than a month, Liz, of Donald Trump filing his appeal on the immunity order, the appellate court schedules oral arguments. Usually this takes months, right? This is less than a month between filing and oral arguments. It's a three-judge panel. Two judges were appointed to the appellate court by Joe Biden. Two Biden appointees on this panel, randomly selected, we're told. And one of the judges from George H.W. Bush, the first Bush, she's been on the court 30 some odd years. So not surprisingly, a month later, February 12th, I believe, they or might have been the ninth, they set out, they issue three zero opinion upholding Chutkin's original order, also claiming that a president is not shielded from criminal prosecution under immunity. But in the meantime, Liz, Judge Chutkin realizes also that there's no way the March 4th trial, which had been put on hold since she issued her order, there's no way the March 4th trial can proceed. She vacates that trial date before the appellate court comes down, ruling comes down. The appellate court ruling, mid-February, Donald Trump immediately files uh, what they call an emergency application to stay the appellate court ruling. And then Jack Smith went to the Supreme Court and said, we oppose the stay, but please consider this what they call a petition for to grant cert, again, meaning the court will take it up. That is what leads us to Wednesday's announcement by the Supreme Court that, yes, they granted cert in this case. Oral arguments are scheduled for the week of April 22, also sort of an expedited schedule. 
Um, and that's how we got to this point. So the idea that this has been a protracted battle, you know, for years they make it sound instead of a matter of what, August to nearly March 1, seven some odd months, in an unprecedented history-making case. This has never been considered by the courts at all, whether a president can be criminally charged, because, of course, the former president has never been criminally charged. So that's how we got well, to this point. One reason why people um, on the right don't file a lot of lawsuits is they know ultimately their case is going to get to the Supreme Court, and it takes so long. Sometimes people spend 10 years trying to get their case to the Supreme Court with just the appellate process, things being dragged out. So the idea that this is like, you know, a, a tactic is, is like you said, it's really laughable. But that's just part of the narrative that the mainstream media is pushing out to the dummies who don't know any better. They like it's just like a bumper sticker slogan for people to say around the water cooler. Oh, he's just dragging it out. But this is actually an important issue. And it's an important issue that I would think the Democrats wouldn't want put in front of the Supreme Court at all, because if this holds for Donald Trump, then it's going to hold for Joe Biden and every, you know, and any other subsequent president. Mm -hmm. So if the, we decide all of a sudden that the president doesn't have immunity, then that is going to be equally problematic for the Democrats. I guess they think they're, they'll just control the Supreme Court eventually, and it and so it won't matter. But right now, this is the last court you want to hear something like this, because if they were going to keep the decision as it stood, then they wouldn't grant cert. They wouldn't hear it. I mean, they don't. The Supreme Court doesn't just hear arguments for shits and giggles. If they are going to hear arguments, it's because they are seriously considering reversing where the issues, you know, where it is in the legal process. They could just say no, and it could stand, and then that would be the end of it. So the fact that they're taking it up isn't good. And like I said, this is going to back, this could very well, but this will backfire on the Democrats, because that also means their Democrat presidents are are also fragile where, where this is concerned. Not to mention, not to mention, not to mention there is no evidence that Donald Trump as president did anything to like, quote, stop the election or reverse the election. I mean, again, that's another unsubstantiated talking point and bumper sticker that the mainstream media is throwing out to the low information midwits that watch CNN. But there is no evidence that Trump did anything to stop the election. I mean, all of these things are just asserted without evidence and rubber stamp by liberal out of control, just judges in our legal system. So hopefully That's this right. will put an end, end to that. Well, and what most people overlook because they're not as saturated in all of this as we are, is the week before April 22nd, when they're going to hear oral arguments on presidential immunity, what I feel is a bigger risk to Jack Smith's four count indictment is oral arguments on the DOJ's use of 1512C to obstruction of an official proceeding. Now this will be a landmark. Now, just for to hear this, the appellate court came down in April of 2023, um, upholding how DOJ had used this. These defendants then appealed. The Supreme Court kind of set the schedule in September, didn't come back until December to set oral arguments for April. 
So an entire year, think about that. That's normally, to your point, the process. That's not happening in the Trump case. Everything is being rushed. But if the Supreme Court comes back before they even rule on presidential immunity, and this is sort of a big issue, and they come back and say DOJ has intentionally misinterpreted this post-Enron document shredding statute against more than 300 J6ers, it also represents half of Jack Smith's J6 indictment. If they come back and reverse how DOJ has interpreted and applied that, Trump easily could come back and say half of your indictment should be wiped out because this count 1512 C2 should never have been applied to anyone for their conduct on January 6th. So that's a whole other wrinkle that's hanging out there. Um, And then what does Jack Smith do? Even if the Supreme Court says, yes, presidents can be criminally prosecuted, he's going to go to a D.C. jury as people are voting. And that's what we the other timetable. This trial, even if the Supreme Court comes back, Liz, at the end of May, a month later, with a ruling, they have to give both sides the three plus months that have basically been on hold um, as this immunity issue moves forward. So that puts add three months to the end of May, June, July, August. Trial starts the end of August. More likely, the Supreme Court will come back the end of June when their term concludes with some sort of ruling. Again, if they come back and say, yes, a president, that pushes the trial to the end of September. Now, people are already voting, right? Um, The trial is expected to last at least a few months. Jury selection alone should last weeks if this was going to be a fair process. So now the likelihood, not just of a trial getting off the ground, but a conviction, and of course the layup jurisdiction of Washington, D.C., looks almost impossible. And that's why you have the meltdown on CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post, Twitter, legal experts, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, this is this is so irregular and so blatant that I I'm hoping that people who are not super politically engaged before 2020, you know, are really taking note of how extraordinary all of these measures are just mm-hmm. to get Donald Trump, who, again, currently has no power. He holds no office. He's just a, he's a candidate. Um, but all of these extraordinary measures just to get him, um, the, it's it's like they're going to burn down the city in the process, you know, they don't care what that they're destroying our judicial system. I mean, what percentage of people in this country trust our institutions or our legal process after watching not just what they're doing to Trump, but just what they're doing to like average people uh, regarding J6 people who didn't even go into inside the Capitol? You know, it's it's so damaging. I like to bring this up all the time, but I I think it's so Im- important for our country. I mean, how do we how do, like what's left at that point? You know, we we have such a pride in this, our, you know, our fair judicial system and the way the law treats everybody equally. And we're just watching these absolutely crazy things. And either these DOJ lawyers are just fucking idiots or they're malicious. I mean, it's only one of those two. Either they're too stupid to know how to apply the statutes correctly, like the obstructing of official proceeding, like you mentioned, or they're just doing everything they possibly can to make the process, the punishment and try and stop Trump, who, you know, enjoys at least half the half of the support. I mean, half the country supports Trump. So, 
You know, I mean, that's just such an act of aggression against the populace, I think. So, well, to your point, these line prosecutors and, of course, D.C. U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves, the entire Department of Justice, especially when you're operating in Washington, D.C., they know they can get away with whatever they want. There is no relief for these defendants. They flagrantly misinterpret statutes like seditious conspiracy and obstruction of an official proceeding. They come back and ask for excessive prison sentences. They have already been caught by the appellate court, reprimanded by the appellate court for um, violating federal sentencing guidelines for people convicted of a low-level petty offense, sending them to prison and then probation. That's not allowed. Um, But you know, you already have judges who have consented to the use of 1512 C2 now releasing people that they set to prison for 14, 16, 18, 20 some odd months on 1512 C2, releasing them because they sense that the Supreme Court is going to come back and reverse how the DOJ has weaponized that statute. This will represent the biggest black eye for the federal courthouse in our nation's capital and the Department of Justice, I think, ever. Um, so this is the shit show that they've created and that they're- I hope so, though. I hope for. so. I, I, I do. So. And I, I, I want to believe that. I mean, I think it, it would be for me. And if we lived in the ideal world and we lived according to the Constitution, I think that that, that would be true. But but there's such an, a, a large number of people, I mean, a not insignificant portion of of the population of this country does believe that people should be able to do and break any rule they can to get the political enemies. So I do think you're right in the sense that, you know, those who believe in the system and have respect for our adversarial process, that this is a black, you know, this is a black eye when all this stuff gets reversed and these, however many people Matthew Graves, Graves has convicted so far or pled out over a thousand, I think maybe, around there, you know, that all that's going to be reversed. But even so, I mean, these people have no recourse. There's no, they're not going to be getting a check like Black Lives Matter after they burn down cities and stuff for their civil rights violation. But, you know, I just, I, I, I really hope that this has an impact and we aren't at the point where there's enough people that don't care and believe that you should be able to throw the rules out when if the if the cause is great enough, like if they think the cause is is worthy. And remember how many people went along with the COVID stuff that broke all these laws and changed all the rules of how we live and medical science and all that. I mean, a lot of people went along with that, too. So I want to be optimistic, but I my job here on the show is to be a pessimist. So, yes, going to stick true. with and my to, pessimism. Um, apparently to make me funnier. As one of our. Yes loyal listeners said that hurt wait they said what they said that you make me funnier oh i know that's my favorite listener yeah <laughs> i love the compliments I when i'm not I- teaching people like filthy vocabulary <laughs> on the show which i'm proud of i'm doing the lord's work here on happy hour um <laughs> i am making julie funnier so but i love julie and she's funny thanks so much <laughs> well, I think, too, then you've got the Black Mirror moment where you've got all the meltdown, Andrew Weissman, Rachel Maddow saying no one is above the law. And at the same time, we have that degenerate Hunter Biden finally testify. And, of course, we have evidence 
recently that Joe Biden is guilty, far more guilty of what Donald Trump has been charged with related to the handling and keeping of classified material. So Hunter Biden was on Capitol Hill on Wednesday. Um, There's little dribs and drabs coming out about what he testified under oath. But of course, accusing Republicans of a witch hunt, no evidence. And, you know, he was just a guy trying to leverage all of his knowledge about foreign energy sources to sit on the board of Burisma, even though he didn't speak Ukrainian, never went to Ukraine and has no experience in energy energy sector. sector. Yeah. Yes. So what did you, what little tidbits did you see coming out of that? Well, I just, again, this was closed door testimony. So um, we don't have a transcript. It wasn't videoed. So we just have what people say and the release of his opening remarks. And he did assert that Hunter asserted that he never involved his father in business dealings. But it's kind of interesting. I'm sure, obviously, that statement has been lawyered up the ass right before he, you know, the lawyers wrote it. And, mm-hmm. and I guess Hunter is a lawyer, but barely, I guess. Um, and, you know, the way things are I done. Think in he DC, went to the same law school as Fannie Willis, by the way. I think they all Oh went. my gosh. <laughs> Acne school of law, like that mm-hmm. company that's always on Roadrunner and Coyote. Um, so he asserted again that his father never had anything to do with business, but that's not really how things happen in DC. I mean, he didn't, he's not on, he doesn't have his father on like incorpor, incorporation documents, you know, but there's a very informal way that people do business, especially when you're talking about influence peddling, which is really what the Biden family, um, uh, you know, business is, right? I mean, it, I've asked on this show a million times, what exactly it does does Hunter do? What What's their business? How did they make their money? And Hunter was blowing through money, no pun intended, uh, really fast. So he lived quite quite the life with the hookers and the drugs and the fancy places that he was. So what is their business? Well, their business is influence peddling. And that's not a formal thing, the way, you know, you would find on documents and paper trails and names on bank accounts. You know, that's going golfing together. That's meeting for drinks. That a lot of things. Or you know, inviting friends to the White House for meetings. I mean, there's pictures of Biden hanging around with Hunter's business partners. Are you telling me that nothing, you know, nothing happened? Very hard to believe. So we'll see. We'll see how this pans out. We just don't have too much information about his testimony yet. Um, We just have Democrats coming out and tweeting, oh, he's so clearly innocent. You know, (laughs) it's a Republican witch hunt. The usual, the usual stuff. Um, But the question is, what do you do afterwards? You know, what are you going to, are you going to refer Hunter to the DOJ? I mean, we've already seen that's rigged. That process is rigged. So, you know, he's basically guilty of all of the things that they accused like Don Jr. or Eric of, or Ivanka, you know, who was, you know, got a copyright for something. And they, they were, you know, when Trump was president, these people were adamant that this was, you know, a t- terrible violation of the law. But and same isn't going to be said for Hunter. And again, this influence peddling isn't just really about Joe being president. This is when Joe was vice president and when Joe was senator. I mean, this stuff's been going on for decades with the Biden family because, again, they have no they have no actual skills or deliverables um, to charge people money for. So that's all we know now. Stay tuned. I'm sure we'll get more. 
Okay, but there is literally no greater drama happening in the country right now than what is coming out of Fulton County, Georgia. And if you are snowed in this weekend or whatever, you, you need something that's better than a soap opera or a fiction novel, do yourself a favor, go to Judge Scott McAfee's YouTube page, Fulton County, uh, and watch the testimony, of course, of a couple weeks ago, Fannie Willis, her lover, Nathan Wade, um, her ex-friend who gave her the condo that ended up being their little stabbing cabin where nobody could see them get together, late night booty calls, <clears throat> and then testimony this week of Terrence Bradley which we can get into a little bit. Terrence Bradley, uh, one-time law partner of Nathan Wade, also on the Fulton County public trough, by the way, um, as Nathan Wade's, both of his law partners were, but clearly lying, all of them, on court filings and sworn testimony about when the relationship between Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis began. Now, Liz, talk a little bit about how this started. Mike Roman, who was charged in Fannie Willis's RICO indictment against Donald Trump and I think almost two dozen associates, including Mike Roman. Who is Mike Roman? Um, so, so Roman, as we call him, um, he's an oppo. He's an, he does oppo research. This is pre-Trump, like pre-Trump campaign. And, you know, he does oppo research. And when you um, are running a campaign or when you're hired, like if you run a campaign for someone, the first thing you do is you hire an oppo researcher to um, get put a book together. We call it a book like of opposition research on your opponent, but also on your candidate. Right. You want to always oppo your your own client so that you know what's out there, too, because your opponent has oppo researchers, too. So Mike Roman is one of the best. He re- he is. So the idea that you're going to go after Roman and he's just going to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> and not do his own due diligence is sorely mistaken. And, and, and indeed, he did. And so one tactic they have legally is to take out Fannie Willis, who is extremely compromised, uh, you know, and made a point to to it's like her flagship that she was going to go after these people. Um, and he dug up the dirt on her affair with this guy that she was paying a lot of money and he was giving it back to her in unsavory ways. Just, I guess, suitcases of cash because it's totally normal for a regular person or just anyone to have large amounts of cash. It just reminds me of like Sopranos, you know, where they have all this money like stacked up and, you know, or casino when they have so much money, they, they they literally have no physical place to put it. They have so much cash like that. Like it's just normal that these, you know, he was giving her cash. So there's no record of it to reimburse her for the money. And then she was paying him. I mean, and he seriously wasn't qualified for what he was hired to do either. So this is just really it is truly so ridiculous that if someone wrote a movie script, the Hollywood people would be like, oh, this is too much. Like, no one's going to buy this. It's so it, it's just so crazy. So there's sex, which is gross to think about because um, they're gross people in general. Um, infidelity. Money. Just it's every it's got everything. It's Money got laundering. something for everyone. Wait, yes. what did you say, Scorn. Julie? 
money laundering, scorned wife, ex-wife, soon to be ex-wife. Um, yeah, it, it's got it's got everything for everyone. So what this so what does this mean? So this is to disqualify Fannie Willis from the indictment. Also, Nathan Wade, who is their special prosecutor, what the both what both of them have done, not only in the Roman motion, but Nathan Wade's ongoing protracted divorce filings, which he claims that magically he he feels like the marriage ended in 2015, accusing his ex-wife of having an affair. And that's what well, when it ended. Well, nobody, that's not how divorce works. <laughs> you don't just say, hey, we're divorced. Like you have to go through a whole proceeding, right? And have a judge sign a divorce degree to, to it's so convenient for him. Well, no, we're, we're divorced, I guess. Okay. Sure you are. Terrible. Yeah. So he has lied in court filings and the divorce saying he was not having an affair with anyone uh, of the opposite sex. We know that that's certainly not the case with Fannie Willis. But what this Terrence Bradley testified, and apparently he was run out of the firm, uh, accusations of sexual harassment, something of that nature. But Terrence Bradley um, has li also lied under oath. Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis said that their affair started in 2022 after she appointed him in November of 2021 as the special lead prosecutor on the Trump case. So the issue is, when did their affair really start? Well, there's plenty now. We have cell phone records, data that shows when she moved out of her house into this condo, late night visits by Nathan Wade to Fannie Willis's. Assuming they're not working on court filings, Liz. Maybe they were writing briefs. Who knows? Oh, I'm sure that's exactly what that's what you do at night, right? Like in the midnight <laughs> or whatever. You totally go over to someone else's house and work on your legal <laughs> issues, of course. <clears throat> so they have the cell phone data, um, but now texts have been released. And I know that Megan Kelly and her podcast on Wednesday with another reporter who has some of these texts indicate that their affair started in late 2019. Mm -hmm. So they've been lying. How... Now, how did they think that they would get away with this, Liz? How? Well, because because they do get away with it. You know, why would why wouldn't they get away with it? Who's going to know? I mean, the idea that that this insider dealing, you know, at at the local governmental level where people aren't doing favors for campaign donors or for their lovers or their kids or the nepotism. This is this is pretty much happens in all over the place. We, we just do, we just don't know about it. And it it just so happens that Fannie Fannie Willis poked the wrong hornet's nest with with Roman and Roman decided to do some research. But your local government is almost certainly corrupt just as a rule. You should assume that. So <clears throat> that's why yeah, I think, too, that they just really felt they're so arrogant Right. That yeah. They really thought they're going to rope in Trump and all of his hated villains around him. I'm sure campaign donations poured in. Haven't even had a chance to look at that. Then her whole, her whole argue, her whole insistence that she was giving Nathan Wade cash is reimbursement no. for trips, so airline and and wine tastings, even though she likes Grey Goose, they were going on wine tastings oh. with caviar and chocolate. She's talking about this on the stand. 
right? Her lawyer is trying to shut her up and she's overruling her own lawyer's objection saying, no, 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 no. I want to talk about this. Let me tell you, that is normal. Like who doesn't have business meetings with chocolate covered strawberries, champagne and caviar? I mean, it's just so normal. (laughs) Can you imagine being a Fulton County resident living in the ghetto in Atlanta and hearing your prosecutor that's paid by tax dollars talk about her trip to Napa with caviar? (laughs) You know, I have a feeling they rented like a motel room with like a heart shaped hot tub that's red. You know, like it's at that level. It's so <laughs> cheesy with like Barry White in the background. Yeah. Let's get it all. You know, just like, just really, you couldn't, you couldn't, you could not make this up, like I said. But they, there's a certain amount of audacity to think that you can conduct yourself like this and that it isn't you're not going to get caught like these people are blatant they have no fear i mean getting on the stand and saying you're reimbursed in cash is is laughable i mean mafia heads have been busted for for much less but there's a climate in which these people feel comfortable enough to behave ex- just like this just so it, that should be the most disturbing thing of all is somebody's not even afraid or not, not not even good at cooking the books so that it looks legitimate. It's just full on out there. It's terrible. So unfortunately, all of these clowns, Fannie Willis, Nathan Wade, Terrence Bradley, who accused Mike Roman's lawyer, Ashley Merchant, by the way, they tried to get her sanctioned for lying about communications with Terrence Bradley over this matter. Of course, she pulls out all the text messages in front of Terrence Bradley. So they've all perjured themselves. They should all be not just disbarred, (laughs) but prosecuted themselves. Of course, that's not gonna happen in Fulton County. Um, But this Judge Scott McAfee, appointed by Brian Kemp, he's actually up for election in May. So he has political calculations that he has to make But I have to think, Liz, no matter how Democrat Fulton County is, that surely the residents there have to be disgusted by all of this. It makes the entire county look so corrupt and so bad. But who knows? You know, if if she's disqualified, the the entire indictment has to go away because it's tainted from the beginning. Look at all the the money that was wasted, too. And I'm sure Fulton County could use some more social services or like any city that's short on these social, like any big city is, you know, in a financial crunch and short on social services. And then there's just millions of dollars being spent on this ridiculous endeavor. Um, But the question always comes down to, as I mentioned earlier, you know, do these people believe that it's okay to do that because the, there's a noble goal at the end. And the noble goal is, you know, punishing the Trumpaloos. It it really depends on that. Or are these people not partisan looking at this in a partisan lens, which I wish more people would, would do, but everybody is so entrenched in their political position that they can't see how things like this are bad for their city. And they're like, well, it's okay because it, those are tr- Trumpaloos. So it's, it's okay to do this. So it just really depends on how many people hold that position versus, yeah, it's, it's a waste of money there. We, we need social services. We need streets repaired. We need better schools and yet taxpayer dollars are going for this, you know, the, this flex. 
right? This political flex of Fannie Willis, who I'm sure has her had herself political ambitions. They always do. Um, you know, more bigger office, more money, more lovers to send your money to. Um, I, I want to be again. I want to be optimistic. I'm. I'm. I'm not optimistic because when these things happen, we always hear the media comes in and they're like, well, this is a one off. This is not normal. But, you know, how many mayors or how many political figures in big blue Democrat cities have ultimately been busted for corruption? You know, you've had problems in Detroit, Baltimore. I think Marilyn Mosby, she's she's been busted for, you know, dealing insider type dealing where she was giving city money to somebody who was buying all her children's books. She were bought, wrote children's books. So this is not a one-off. It's just the question of, will the voters realize, and will Republicans who are idiots be smart enough to see an opportunity and move in and make a concerted effort to go into Fulton County and agitate so that you don't have another prosecutor put into office like this? Well, you know, if Trump <laughs> wins, there needs to be major reforms. And at the state level, I think his options are limited. But, you know, Georgia last time I checked was run by Republicans. They have a Republican attorney general and they have a Republican governor who have been basically silent. In fact, I think Brian Kemp actually came out and defended Fannie Willis early on when these rumors started to circulate and Mike Roman filed his motion. So, well, there are that, things that governors can do based on the state constitutions. And again, that change that's different state to state. Like Ron DeSantis, I think he's fired two Soros prosecutors for not, or district attorneys for not um, following the law. And so there are things governors can do. But I mean, Brian Kemp, dot, 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 you know, like <laughs> he's, uh, he's very anti Trump. So, Maybe, again, he's so consumed with political animosity that he's not looking at the greater at the greater issue. But so federally, I don't think Trump could do if, if he wins. Like, I don't think he can do anything at the state level. But even so, there are so many advocacy groups around on the right. Now, most of them are impotent and are crippled. But really, you know, this is something that if the parties were reversed, the Democrats would be all in. Right. They're all in. Otherwise. Yeah, so they, they are. Th and they I would move it. They would move in right away. They would move in. There would be campaigns. They would be on the ground talking to people. We have to stop this. You need a better system. These people are corrupt. They're wasting your money. They would already be working on it. There would already be multiple campaigns on it. You know, what are the Republicans doing? They're just sitting back and kind of watching. They're not doing they're not doing anything. And they'll probably put another person and the same thing will happen again. Because the Republicans aren't serious people. Well, speaking of serious people, though, okay. we did get a little good news this week, we Liz. We did. Please share. Oh, wait. With the, yeah, so Cocaine Mitch is down. He's out. <laughs> I love that Mitch. Sean Davis calls him Twitch. Twitch. That's, I know. We love Sean Davis. We should have Sean on soon. Oh, my God. We should. We haven't, had him, we haven't had him in a long time. Yeah, for Love sure. Sean. Um, yeah, so McConnell announced yesterday. I don't even know, was it Mitch McConnell or was it like an AI generated hologram? Because he's not in good shape. But McConnell announced in the Senate, on the Senate floor, that he will be leaving his position as 
Senate, the GOP leader in the Senate, of course, the GOP has is the minority in the Senate. Uh, no thanks to Georgia. But he announced that he is not leaving until he is not leaving his seat, but he is stepping down as majority as the minority leader or as the GOP leader. Now, who will take his place? An old white guy. That's my prediction. No, um, you know, I think Cornyn wants it. Thune wants it. Barrasso. They're all bad. They're all bad. We're not getting a good. We're not getting an upgrade. If anyone thinks that. And what's even worse or not even worse, but I don't think McConnell's going to be running for reelection. So what that means is that he has no nothing to worry about, which so we're going to get really screwed, you know, because there is always uh, these elected officials always worry about getting reelected. So they do kind of temper their worst impulses because they know whether it's in six years or in two years, they're going to have to face their voters um, and they'll have an opponent that will shove their behavior in their face during campaign season. But McConnell, he is off the leash now. So who knows what terrible things are going to happen, but I predict terrible things are going to happen. And who knows who's going to replace him? Like Cornyn, he's horrible. Cornyn's horrible. They're all terrible. I'd like to see Mike Lee. I like Mike Lee. Yeah, I like Mike Lee. Um, There's know. no good senators. Who, who, who that is a Republican senator would you, would be a good you know GOP leader I in the Senate? We'll talk about JD Vance. Okay, um, you know that's possibly. never going to happen. Get it. He'll never get it. Ted Cruz. Yep, they hate him. He's four, never going to get it. Solid four. Um, Rand Paul. I, I like mean, Rand. He's got some guts. Um, but it, yeah, I know it's it's not good. The Senate is terrible, and this is um, a big problem when because they're right in the middle of negotiations. The government's going to shut down soon. I hope. I mean, I pray for government shutdown. I don't know why they're so averse to shutting the government down, the Republicans in the House. But exactly. a lot of problems that, you know, we we have a barely a majority in the House because some brain trust thought it was awesome to go after George Santos and make our uh, margin even smaller to get rid of him. And, you know, when the House does send something over that is Republican in nature, you goes to the Senate, which is like a big garbage dump of the biggest rhinos in the country, the Romneys, the Cornins, mm-hmm. um, the worst people. So, of course, that gets immediately erased and watered down. I mean, the GOP senators are sad that they can't give $60 billion to Ukraine. I mean, they want, even though the Pentagon is investing over, uh, investigating over 40 different instances of fraud based on the Ukraine aid that we've given, the, the, the senators, they want more money. Give more money, more money, more money. Okay. They want, give them more money. And, you know, what a smashing success all the money we spent in Afghanistan was, right? And then we just left all of our weaponry there. I mean, it, this is, these people are bad news. The Senate is just a dump. And the worst thing that ever happened is that we went to popular vote of the Senate and not having the state legislators appoint the senators because the senator's job is to represent their state, um, like their state's interest, not the lobbyists who bought them a stake last night at the monocle, that interest. Right. So, 
This is bad. But anyway, um, so sayonara, cocaine, Mitch. See ya. You've been around too long. I really, I'm beginning to think we need age limits in the Senate. I mean, DiFi basically died in the well of the Senate. I mean, she wasn't going to leave. Her staff was telling her how to vote. God, what? On a hot mic. This is just not leadership. Not serious. Moment in time. We really don't. And speaking of the biggest betrayal of our political leadership of both parties is the open border that is now resulting in the rape, assault, and murder of American citizens. Um, Just the horrifying situation of what happened to Lake and Riley, a nursing student uh, in Georgia who was on a jog on a Thursday morning, broad daylight, um, near the campus of the University of Georgia, Athens, which is a sanctuary city slash county, where she was brutally attacked and murdered by a man, Jose Ibera, a Venezuelan migrant who crossed the border in 2022 on Joe Biden's watch, who then was arrested in New York on charges, on offenses, but was let go. And I believe I've got my notes somewhere here. I'm sorry. Um, also something that had happened in Georgia before he, we don't know all the details, Liz, there's some coming out, which are horrifying what he did to her. Um, but it also looks like she attempted to call 911 and the call was dropped, but law enforcement did not go look for her until her roommates called three hours after she left. They're refusing well, I had, to raise. Go ahead. I had read that, um, she had done everything right, like as someone who, a woman who goes out and is going to go running for a long distance by herself. She, her friends had her location. She was trackable. They, she called all her friends. She said, I'm going out for a run. You know, she had taken all these steps to ensure that she was was safe. All of the things that people who, again, go out by themselves know to do, I guess, in a place where your safety is in question. So people knew where she was. They knew where her location was tracked. She called them and said, I'm going out. I should be back by this time. And despite all of those safety measures, you know, and that's what these um, advocates of illegal immigration want to say. I mean, they they like to blame the victim in this case where, oh, well, she wasn't safe enough or she didn't take take and do enough to ensure her safety. Um, you know, no, this girl did absolutely everything and it didn't matter because the problem is that they are indiscriminately letting in illegal aliens whose first thing they do in America is break our immigration law. S- some of them are criminals. We we don't know. And then when they commit cr- crimes, they are immediately released in cities like New York and in big cities that don't have bail because bail's racist. Um and now th- this happened. It's a terrible tra- tragedy. And today, on Thursday, when we're taping this, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are going to be making border visits, are going to the border. Um, so we'll see what happens. Now, Trump announced he was going first, and then Biden immediately said he was also going. But Biden had made a different trip to the border, I don't remember, like a year ago, or because he doesn't go to the border. I think Kamala is his border czar, but her, she's only looking at the root causes of this and not actual, you know, murders, crimes, lootings, 
wildings, whatever. She's not interested in that. But Biden went and he doesn't even really go to the border. It's like he goes to El Paso and gets an ice cream cone or something. And he's like, Biden's at the border, but he's not really at the border. So that's happening. But go ahead, Julie, finish what you were saying about um, Lake and Riley. No, I'm glad you said that. And what was even more in now, I have a daughter who is a year older than Lake and Riley. You know, we watch the videos of her. It just it almost makes you sick to your stomach because any of us who have daughters that age and they're, you know, living their life or they're in graduate school and you see all the videos of her and her friends, we we all have those videos of our daughters and thinking that they're safe in these communities uh, when they're not, but being totally failed by political leadership of both parties, state and federal and local. Um it's just sickening. And then on top of it, you have Joe Biden, who waits days to even mention her name, never has mentioned her name. The White House issues a two-sentence statement on Monday. Over the weekend, the entire country is like disgusted, appalled, heartbroken. People are, you know, Republican members of Congress are expressing, you know, Brian Kemp again, expressing their sympathy and rage at what happened. He says nothing. Now, this is a man who... Never misses an opportunity, Liz, as you know, to talk about his own son's death, lie about the circumstances of what happened to his son, Bo, but somehow goes the entire weekend without mentioning Lake and Riley, goes to New York City to tape the Seth Meyers show and is at an ice cream. First of all, what 80-year-old man goes to get an ice cream cone? Would He's be like a five-year-old at- child mentally. So, I mean, it does kind of track. He's like a two-year-old or something, right? I mean. Yeah. So they're at this little press scrum at some ice cream shop. Seth Meyers is there too. He's eating an ice cream cone. And instead of taking a moment to say anything about Lake and Riley's murder, the, the country is up in arms over most of us, those of us who have a soul and a heart and a conscience, not the left, who's you know saying this has nothing to do with illegal immigration. He's laughing about his plans to go to the border on Thursday and says, oh, I hear my good friend is going to be there, too, meaning Donald Trump. He is so consumed with Donald Trump. It's like a sickness on top of all of his other sicknesses. But I'm sure he was told not to mention her. I'm sure that he. Reporter, int- and do you think a reporter asked him about it? No, no, no because they're not allowed. No, I mean, if they they aren't allowed, the reporters aren't allowed and they're probably not even inclined because they play along with this charade. They're not allowed to ask whatever they want. Remember, he gets all the questions in advance and he has little pictures of the people, you know, like to point out what they, you know, to point out so he knows exactly who to call on and what to answer. Um, My question is, did Obama weigh in? Because if you don't know, if he had a son, the son would look like Trayvon Martin. And so I'm just wondering if the Obamas weighed in on this. Look, they don't care. This is a very difficult issue for them. Politically, it's a problem because immigration is like the number one issue right now. People are watching their communities absolutely decimated. And this, of course, is also a product of the defund the police movement and um, all of these attacks against the cops and then also cities that have Soros prosecutors that don't prosecute criminals. So in addition to like our homegrown criminals, of which we have too many, we have now 
imported, you know, at least 12 million people probably under Biden, who knows how many are criminals, repeat criminals, and they don't even lock them up so they can't keep committing crimes. They don't prosecute low-level crimes. I mean, there's no deterrent. So this is a really difficult issue because I think people in the communities are having enough because public safety is always a number one issue politically. People do care about not feeling safe in their community more than they care about these sort of like wonky financial bills like happen trade or audit the fed no what they care about is that their kids are getting beat up or raped or they go to work and they're getting robbed regularly or there's piles of shit on the street like in san francisco although apparently those people actually don't care syringes fentanyl overdoses that chinese are bringing in through the southern border so this is a really unfortunate political situation for biden he really I'm sure he doesn't want to draw attention to it. So today when he's at the border, and I use that in air quotes, let, let's see where he is. Because I don't think he's going to be near, anywhere near the Rio Grande. I mean, there's not going to be any shots of Joe Biden taking press questions with people swimming across the river and running into the <laughs> United States, you know, <laughs> there, no. that there's not. So no. where is he going to be? Because the whole border is a mess. Now, it'll be different with Trump. Trump will probably show that, you know, the Trump coverage will be the conservative media will show as like great reporters like Bill Malugan, I think at Fox is so good on the border. I think Julia Rosas has been down there too, really showing what's going on. We're not going to see any of that in Biden coverage, but I know that the Trump, the Trump campaign, as they should, will make this. I mean, we had such a great situation under Trump for immigration with the remain in Mexico policy. Every one of Trump's policies was immediately reversed by Biden. On day one, on day one, and the reason they were reversed is because they would would not be able to pass laws with these weak, like, eunuchs in the GOP, in the House, in the Senate, because if you remember, when Trump took office, we had a Republican Senate and a Republican House. He should have been able to pass everything right then and there. That's how it should have been. And instead, you had people like Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan who were actively working against Trump. So Trump had to do executive orders. And of course, that means anything done by an executive order can be reversed by an executive order. So instead of remaining in Mexico, they're just letting them in. The Border Patrol can't can't really do their job and you know the local justice system can't handle them or they're run by source prosecutors or don't so this is it's really sad but lake and riley is just one of many people right victims that's right of this there are other and cases too of absolutely other cases and murders and rapes assaults by these yep illegals um so to your point liz this is unfortunately Lake and Riley is not going to be the only victim in 2024 of these disgusting, degenerate, low-life criminals who should not be in this country. So um, this is definitely a winning issue for Trump. um, And this is why Biden's going to the border. And Biden held a press briefing this week about cracking down on crime so they know the biggest reason why Joe Biden, aside from the fact he has dementia and doesn't know where he is, is that is is the border issue tied to, yeah, to and, your public safety and Biden like things are going to be even worse for Biden when like these white wine moms and like Ashley and yeah. Michaela or whatever start getting raped and assaulted and murdered. I mean, that is because really, you know, the supporters of the Democrats and Biden are these suburban white moms, you know, that are interested in being woke and 
want to talk about woke politics at Pilates. And once their daughters start getting raped or murdered, you know, that's going to be a problem. That's a, that's a problem for them. And it is a problem. So we'll see what, what happens today. Like how well, just the fact that all of us moms, whether you have high school or college or post-college, all of us had conversations this past week. And I guarantee you with our daughters, here's what you need to do. I mean, you can, obviously you've said it before, but now it's a heightened awareness. Here's what you need to do. Maybe don't have AirPods or to your point, turn your location on. I mean, my daughter has her location on. She goes for walks and runs by herself all the time. Be aware, you know, maybe carry mace, do something, or now these girls can't even go. So the fact that now these same suburban wine moms have to have these conversations, just to your point, underscores what a threat this is and how politically dangerous it is for Democrats and Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, th- what kind of country do you live in where people can't go, wh- a woman can't go out running in broad daylight, no less, and and she's not safe? I mean, and who, and who brought up, terrible. I think it was the New York Post or someone, maybe it was the AP, that Lake and Riley's mur- murder underscores the risk of being a yes. solo female athlete. Yes, that was their takeaway. Their takeaway was that it's risky for a woman to go out and jog by herself. That was the, that was their moral of the story. Not that she should be able to go out and run in it's basically kind of suburban. I mean, she wasn't running in a big city. She was it was I think in a suburban setting that she should be safe. Just she, why why is I I mean, I, I saw that article and I, my jaw dropped. I mean, I shouldn't because it's AP. It was an AP article not the New York Post. Okay. It was it's it was astonishing the the lengths to which these people twisted themselves into a pretzel to try and not talk about a repeat criminal illegal alien in this country that has gone unpunished and allowed to be free because of the failure of the political machine and instead talk about take some other some other takeaway you know, that has nothing to do with the real issue, which is that, you know, we don't know who's in this country anymore. And there are a lot of criminals and they're also not getting locked up. So it was it's disgusting. But the issue is not about how dangerous it is to be a woman by yourself running. The issue is we have been importing even more criminals into this country and there's no deterrent for them to wreak havoc. And it's not so. just now, I think the public sentiment has changed to, okay, they're seeking asylum. They're coming from communist Marxist countries like Venezuela, like this murderer and others have, have, okay, we need to vet it. I think the growing sentiment is round, shut the border, round these people up and send them Get back them out. and don't Get let them, them back in. That's right. Even just, the there's no, and Biden has, and, and by the way, I know that Biden and the White House and Karine Jean-Pierre have repeatedly come out and said, oh, well, Biden, you know, he really can't do anything about this. This has to happen in the Senate and in the in the House. No, that's a lie. There's a lot of things he could do. He's just choosing not to do it because a big constituency for the Democrats are the pro-illegal immigration lobby. So the corporations that want the cheap labor um, and all of these progressives that, you know, think America sucks and we should open up, you know, the American way of life and the American tradition sucks and it's about white supremacy. And so we should let in people from these 
barbaric, you know, these barbarians that basically are not uncivilized and don't recognize the rule of law and civility, we should just let them in and, you know, basically pollute the country and make it unsafe. So, ugh, this is a really depressing topic. It is. Very I'm sorry, depressing. but we, we couldn't not mention it. No, we had to talk about it. We had, and again, it's not going to be the last. It's not going to be the last. It's be the last. Not even March yet. So yeah, there'll be more. Right. And right. the media ignores it. So anyway, all right. So we are at an hour, which went by super fast. Anything else we need to bring up before we close, close it down? No, I think, you know, with all the, as usual, sad news, infuriating news, um, not to pivot to something funny, but if people, aside from some kind of wonderful, the SNL skit last week on the Trump um, sneakers was really funny. Oh, I didn't see it. I'll have to watch it. Oh, you have to watch it. It, it was spot it. on, and it was actually nice to see Saturday Night Live be kind of funny again. So, um, yeah, it's been a while. It. Yeah, yeah. And they also kind of made fun of Joe Biden just for like seven seconds. Wow. But, crazy but the trump the trump skit was amusing um but and liz i'm gonna see you i know i'm gonna see you i will be together next week i know i saw julie i was with julie last week so if you felt a disturbance in the force (laughs) it was because julie and i were together you're gonna feel it next week because you're actually staying for two nights next week i'm staying with julie we're gonna be together so there will be like a harmonic convergence you might feel it i have to figure out if we can how we can tape tape our podcast like, Can we just be in different rooms so there's not like a Yeah, we might have system? to do that. But okay. I know like the grown-ups that have like grown-up podcasting equipment on like <laughs> Happy Hour, which is really a high-speed, low-drag affair. Uh, there should school. be equipment. I kind of want to sit next to you and do it so we can make faces at each other. <laughs> maybe we should do video. No, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'll think about it. Okay. I'll think about it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe on iTunes. We're also available on Spotify where Joe Rogan does show. You can rate us there and subscribe on Spotify. And so we may or may not be here next week. Have a lovely weekend. Go watch some kind of wonderful and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.